Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 8 of Stress Management, a weekly podcast on biblical character traits that help people cope with difficult trials. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma, for 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. In this eighth episode, we will examine the role of prayer and praise in stress management. First, as it's demonstrated in the Old Testament stories of David, and then as it's affirmed in verses from both the Old and New Testament. So come with me to about 1026 BC. King Saul, the first king of Israel, is at about the end of his approximately 40-year reign, and David who was anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the next king of Israel, became employed by Saul as his chief musician after he killed Goliath. But gradually, Saul began to feel threatened by David and seemed to be descending into some form of mental illness and pursued David. David had to flee for his life. So David amassed a band of men that were about 600 in number, and they went and lived across the border from Israel to the west in the land of the Philistines in a little border town called Ziklag. They had been there perhaps over a year with their wives and children and homes. By this time, David had two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, who was the widow of Nabal. That was another uh, podcast episode that we looked at when we went over diplomacy. But David has already also lost his first wife, Michael, who was given to him after he defeated 200 Philistines for King Saul. When he fled for his life, Saul gave Michael to someone else. So the Philistines are ready to go to battle against Saul, and David and his men offer to go with them because Saul is David's enemy. But the Philistine king, although he favors David, is receiving messages from his men that maybe David from Israel would not be loyal. And so he is telling David, you go back home, go back to Ziklag, we don't want you to go to battle with us. So now we're in 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter, verse 1. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites, who by the way were descendants of Esau, and so they were distant kin of David and the other Israelites, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire, and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. And that's a pretty strong statement. If you can imagine a man crying, which we don't often see men openly crying in public, but imagine these men in such distress that they are wailing until they are completely exhausted. 
David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Well, isn't this just about the way people do? Something difficult comes along and you need a scapegoat. Well, whose fault is this? We have to have someone to blame. And so they turned on their leader this is all your fault. If only you hadn't insisted that we all go and try to fight with the king of the Philistines against King Saul, we would have been here when the Amalekites attacked, and we would have our wives and children with us today. So think how very stressful this situation actually is for David. Not only are his wives gone, and this is like deja vu because he's already lost Michael, his first wife, and their stuff has been taken, so they've pretty much been stripped of all their possessions, and now his men are threatening to kill him, so there's this big mutiny. But we see at the end of verse 6, the most important sentence of the day, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So he coped with this stressful situation by turning to God. Sometimes you'll hear people say when they're in great distress, I can't even pray. But the word here is showing us that when you're in great distress is the very time that you need to pray the most. Many of the Psalms were written by David and they show us this tendency that he had when he was feeling very sad or in anguish of some sort of coming to God and giving it to God and letting God help him. And you can follow a particular psalm all the way through from the distress at the beginning to the resolution at the end. Now, we don't know for sure which psalm he may have written at this time, but according to the Reese Chronological Bible, Psalm 4 is a good candidate. And even if it was not written at this particular time, it aptly shows us how David uses this turning to God and his distress to cope with the problems. So Psalm 4 says, Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. So in this particular case, he's in such distress that he doesn't even begin his song with praise, exalting God. He just barrels right in saying, Oh, dear God, this is horrible. I need your help. He goes on, How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Perhaps he's thinking of this mutinous band of men that he has with him. Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. So he's reminding himself, hey, there's really a God in heaven, even if the people around me are wanting to serve someone else. And he does know when I'm in distress and he's listening. Tremble and do not sin when you're on your beds. Search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace, 
I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Wow, so in just a few verses, he goes from give me relief from my distress and have mercy on me and hear my prayer to in peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. How many times are we in such distress that we're tossing and turning at night and we can't sleep? Or if you happen to wake up in the middle of the night, all of the things that you were distressed by during the day come tumbling back in on you and you just can't get any rest. But David has found such a coping mechanism in laying his problems at the feet of the Lord that he is able to sleep easily and well and get the rest he so desperately needs to cope with the situation. You know, more than 20 years later, there was another time in David's life. He had been king for a couple of decades, and he had some grown children. One of them, Absalom, tried to take the kingdom away from him. And this was after David's sin with Bathsheba and all of the drama that followed that. He had one son that raped a sister, and Absalom was the full brother of the sister that was molested, and so he carried a grudge for a long time. He had the son killed, and he never appreciated how David handled that whole situation. Eventually, he started a campaign to take the whole nation away from him, and he got together some men and invaded Jerusalem, and David had to flee for his life. So here is David again on the run, kind of like he had been when he was fleeing from Saul, and that's when he wrote Psalm 3. We have this on good authority. And once again, things are extremely stressful, and David is coping by turning it to God. He says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Can you hear the people around him? Even the ones that are his advocates, they're whispering to each other, well, I don't know if God's going to let him out of it this time. Maybe Absalom is going to be the king now. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. So here we are again, just like we read in Psalm 4. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, Lord. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. You know, Psalm 42 has two identical verses. Verse 5 and verse 11, David says again, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. What? So he's talking about being disturbed and downcast? That doesn't seem like a time when most people would praise the Lord. But what if you could take your little petty problems, which in the scheme of things, they are petty and small, and put them down for a minute and look up 
and remember that God hasn't changed. He loves you. He has an eternal, marvelous destination, plan, and promise for you, and he is worthy. That is exactly what David did. A pastor that I so admired years ago used to say, you can hold a dime up to your eye and shut out the light of the sun. And his point was that no matter how great our God is, if we really want to, we can focus on something small and put it right up to our eye and completely lose sight of the fact that our wonderful Lord has complete control. I don't want to do that. Instead, when times are tough, let's turn to him and praise him anyway. You know, Jesus did this. On the cross, one of the seven famous sayings was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, that was the first line to Psalm 22, which was a whole prophetic psalm written by his ancestor, his progenitor, his great-great-great-grandfather David, and it beautifully shows us, again, coping with stress by turning to the Lord and praying and praising him. So even though Jesus did not say the entire psalm from the cross, he evokes it, and when we go back and read Psalm 22 about the coming Messiah, this is what the first three verses say. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. Surprising there once again. He's in anguish of soul, and he's praising the Lord. In, our, in you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. So he's reminding himself of the faithfulness of God. There's a beautiful example in the New Testament of well, as well of coping with stress by praying and praising the Lord. So now, we've come from 1026 B.C. to about 50 A.D., and the Apostle Paul is in the middle of his second missionary journey around Asia Minor, planting churches and preaching to the Gentiles. And he's come to the city of Philippi, which is in modern-day Greece, with his friend Silas, and as they preach the gospel, there is this slave girl who tells fortunes for her master's prophet, who is demon-possessed. That's why she has this supernatural ability, and she's following them around, pestering and harassing them. Well, after two or three days of this, Paul has had enough, and he turns to her and rebukes the demon and casts it out. But then she loses her ability to tell fortunes, and that makes her master very angry because this is costing him financially, and he stirs up a riot in Philippi, and he has Paul and Silas arrested. So here we are in Acts, the 16th chapter, verse 22. 
The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. What stress! First of all, they did no wrong. Then they were attacked in the middle of an angry mob and then beaten with rods. Oh, the difficulty of enduring something like that. And then when you're exhausted and in horrific pain, not only are you thrown into a dark jail cell that has absolutely no comforts, no place to sit, no place to lie down except the dirt floor, and the smell, but their feet are fastened in stocks, so you don't even have the comfort of trying some way to lay on your side on the cold, hard dirt floor. You have to sit up. And then we get to verse 26. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. What a response! You'd think you'd be so discouraged that you'd be weeping or numb and quiet or shaking. And instead, they're in the presence of God. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Wow! So this praying and praising God and singing to Him during the worst and most difficult times evoked the very presence of God and the power of God to deliver. Not only deliver the prisoners from their chains, but deliver this jailer and his whole family from their sins. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't people turn to wine many times sort of as a medication? You've heard the term self-medicate. And so we have the cliche of someone sitting in a bar because their spouse has left them or they got fired from a job and they're drinking to relieve the stress. But Paul says, don't get drunk on wine. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, always giving thanks? Well, how about if I just give thanks when I'm feeling really thankful because everything is going well? Or how about if I just say praise the Lord if someone gives me some good news? No, this says always. When you are at your lowest low, when you are feeling sad or upset because you have conflict with someone, what if you could turn to the Lord and remember that he's worried and take that dime away from your eye again and let 
his light shine on you and get some perspective? Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Interesting that praise is called a sacrifice here, and sometimes it really is, especially when you're in distress. And we read that God is pleased with these kinds of sacrifices. It opens the door for him to do marvelous work on our behalf. So I'm asking you, are you willing to devote a few minutes each day to praising God for his glory and goodness, regardless of what is happening in your life? Do you really believe that God is worthy to be praised by you at all times? Have you ever witnessed a victory that came after people began to praise God? Is it possible that you haven't realized the good that God has brought from a circumstance in your life that was difficult and stressful? Oh, let's turn to him. Let's not leave this marvelous, effective resource unused when we have stressful things. Bottom line, prayer and praise. When you're at your most difficult times, reach out to him and he'll reach back. If this podcast has been a help to you, pass it along.